If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 this morning. 1 Peter 1. You know, sometimes we find ourselves walking in the footsteps of others who have gone before us. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. These are the words of God. And if you let them, they will change your life. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Pray with me. Father, use your word to penetrate our hearts, to instill deep within us your wisdom, your spirit. Work in us to bring these words to pass, both now and in eternity to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, we all find ourselves following in somebody's footsteps, don't we? Sometimes that's not a good thing, though. I was helping a neighbor yesterday who was having some water issues, had been having $100 water bills. And when you have a $100 water bill, uh, you know something's wrong. I mean, unless you're like, unless you got like a 6,000 square foot house with 18 people in it, then maybe you've got a $100 water bill. But other than that, you know something's wrong when your water bill's that high. So they had been looking and looking and they could not find the source. Yesterday, he found it. There was on uh, maybe two inches away from the meter uh, uh, out by the road, two inches on his side of the meter, of course, because the other side, the water company would have had to deal with it. But it's two inches just away from that on his side. Uh, it, was, it was leaking water. And of course, since it's right by the meter, it's constantly leaking water. And so, I don't know, three, four swimming pools of water over the last few months that they have been paying for that's just been going into the ground there. So he, he set about to fix it. Started digging away, uncovering it to find out exactly where the leak was coming from. He found it. He, he turned off the water, all that stuff, and he was getting ready to fix it. And as he started to fix it, he had to dig away a little bit more to find uh, to be able to get enough access to, to, to deal with the problem. And as he was doing that, he started finding other problems <laughs> and other problems. In fact, he said it looked like the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse uh, kind of plumbing because it was just all kinds of funny stuff pieced together just to make it work in the short term. It was a Band-Aid fix for a problem that really needed surgery. You, you understand, you've probably had some of those in your house. There's probably some things that you go and there's a problem with it and you look at it and you're like, who in the, what were they thinking when they did this? Right? Y'all have those? If you don't, it's because, well, you haven't looked hard enough yet. <laughs> so you just pay attention a little while and you'll find some. It's funny, uh, we think about it, but, but it's really true. Sometimes walking in someone's footsteps is a bad thing. Sometimes having to deal with what someone else has done before can really be a problem. 
for my neighbor and ended up being an all day long problem with uh, you know some money down the drain and, and new tools and equipment and a lot of time and frustration and a lot of digging and just all kinds of different things. Some of us can point to other kinds of issues from those who have gone before us. Your dad had that bad sort of temper and now you do. Your mom was always worried and now you can't seem to shake the worry bug either. There are generational problems that come, that, that just pass from one person to the next, to the next along the family. Sometimes following in someone's footsteps is a hard thing. But there's also some good things about following the people who have come before us. I was reading uh, the other day about a, a British surgeon. It was about the end of the Civil War. In fact, um, his, his journey started a little bit before the Civil War ended, but, but his particular discovery was made right around the time the war was ending. The war ended on May 9th of 1865. In April, he, he found out about the works of a guy named Louis Pasteur. He was a French chemist. And, and Pasteur had figured out that there's these tiny organisms that cause fermentation, like if you leave milk out and, and it starts to ferment and, and, and gets all stinky and stuff. He figured out that was actually tiny organisms, that it wasn't just uh, uh, some bad air or whatever they thought it was at the time. The surgeon looked at it and said, hey, wait a minute, I've been having this problem his surgery patients kept getting infections. It was a common problem in that day. There's a painting uh, from uh, uh, the U.S. around this time of a doctor working on a patient. There's all kinds of people in the room. There's dis different uh, assistants. One of them is holding a blade by the blade itself instead of by the handle. None of them are wearing any kind of gloves on their hands. Some of them you can even see on the painting the dirt on their hands, the stains on their clothes. In fact, doctors of that day thought having stained clothes was a sign that you were such a good surgeon and had performed so many operations. It's experience. He figured out, hey, wait a minute. If we, can't, if we cleansed the stuff in the surgery, like if we wore clean clothes and we washed our hands, and we treated the site, and, and, and we cleaned all of the instruments, maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't have so many infections. He was laughed, he was ridiculed and scorned and mocked by many doctors of his day. And then on the 12th of August of that year, he performed his first successful surgery using uh, an antiseptic. In fact, you might even have this guy's name in your bathroom. If you go home and you look at the mouthwash you use, and it says Listerine, it's named after him. His name is Joseph Lister, and it's because of him, it's because of him that you don't die when you go in for a basic surgery. Sometimes we stand on the shoulders of giants. The people who come before us have made such great strides that we are able to capitalize on and, and improve the way that we do things. Sometimes, sometimes we can learn from people who have walked long before, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. Peter wants us to look back and to see those who have gone before us 
and the trouble they went through. And he wants us to see that we are beneficiaries of the prophets who came before us. You see, we're not the first ones to have this Christian faith. You and I are not the first Christians. Not by a long shot. There's been 2,000 years of church history about, give or take a little bit. And even through all of this time, you've got the apostles, and even before them, you had hundreds and thousands of years of prophets, of men and women following God. You have stories all the way back from the first family. You have stories of, of kings and prophets and prostitutes of shepherd boys and of, of women who judge faithfully. You have stories of two, house, two midwives who refuse to follow a pharaoh's edict to kill all the baby boys. We know their names from Scripture. We don't even know the pharaoh's name. We have this history that is of, of individuals who have been following God for centuries, for millennia now. And so we are able to learn from them. We are beneficiaries of their experience. Look, think about that for just a moment. All of these prophets and all of these apostles and all of these individuals, all of these uh, uh, Israelites and, and early Christians... I use the word beneficiary. If you look up beneficiary, you'll see a definition, something along these lines. A beneficiary is one who receives the benefit from someone else's provision or work. Think of a minor account. You got a small child and you open up an account for them at the bank. Are they the owner of the account? No. They can't own an account. They're a minor, right? You own the account, but they're the beneficiary. The account is for them. It's not for you. If it was for you, your name would be on it and that'd be it, right? No, the account's for them. But do they put money in it? Maybe a little bit as they get older. But not first. No, it's all your provision. It's your work. You're the one who builds the account. You're the one who puts into it. You're the one who grows that nest egg for them. You're the one who starts it and who continues it and who keeps up with it. They're just the beneficiary. See, that's us when we look at the grand scope of Christian history. We stand today as beneficiaries of those who have gone before us. Prophets and apostles and many other folks that we don't normally consider in either of those categories. Just as Lister needed the help of Pasteur to make his discoveries, so we need the testimony of those who have gone before it's a couple ways that we get this benefit. And for one, we are enriched by the grace that they uncovered. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have known about the grace that was to be ours. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation. Now, he has just talked about this salvation that comes uh, because uh, of the work that God has done. Back in verses 8 and 9, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he says, you know, now that I'm talking about this salvation, that brings to mind how we know about this salvation. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied 
about the grace that was to be yours. Maybe they didn't see it clearly. Maybe they didn't quite understand the full scope of it. But God has shown them glimpses, quick pictures. He had given them blueprints of what this grace looks like. And so they prophesied. <laughs> One was a shepherd. His name was Amos. When asked about him prophesying, he says, I'm not a prophet, but God has spoken to me. And who can but speak when God has given him the word? I'm just a shepherd. Look, I was, I was just out taking care of flocks. I was just doing my normal work when suddenly God began to speak to him and give him a message for others. So what did he do? He preached. He prophesied. He delivered that word. His faithfulness is the reason we have such great words as what does man, what does God require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. It's because of Amos that we have the picture of justice rolling down like a mighty river. Righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We, we have that picture because of one man's faithfulness to preach the word that God had given him. And not just one man, many men. Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest until God called him to be a prophet among an exiled people. Jeremiah was of priestly lineage too. But God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I set you apart to be a prophet among the nations. And it's not just the typical prophets that we think of. Look at how much prophecy. We, we just went through the Messianic Psalms. More than half of them were written by David. David wasn't a prophet. But yet we have such great testimony. Think about Abraham. What a testimony of faith. He is so much, he's called the father of faith. Do you see what's happened here? These folks have seen bits and pieces and have, been, have had revealed to them grace that, that doesn't just belong to them, but belongs to us. And so we're enriched by their, their uncovering of this grace. By God showing them this grace and by them uncovering it for us, we are enriched because we have access now to that grace. The two words here, searched and inquired carefully at the end of this verse, the, those two words, those two verbs appear in Psalm 119.2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, that's one, who seek, that's the other, and with their whole heart. Blessed not only are they, because they did it, blessed are us when we follow in their footsteps, and we do it too. We're enriched by the grace they uncovered. If it wasn't for them speaking God's word, we would not have seen the grace that God offers to us. And you say, but we would have still had Christ. We wouldn't have understood him. Do you know how often the gospel writers say, as it was written, Jesus did this to fulfill the scriptures over and over and over again. See, when you put the prophets over the life of Christ, you see him more fully. It's almost like wearing 3D glasses in a movie. You watch the movie without the glasses, it doesn't quite look right. 
You put the glasses on and man, it looks so much better. The prophets are the glasses that help us see the 3D Christ. We're also enlightened by that Christ that they reveal or to that Christ that they reveal. Uh, uh, we see him more clearly. In verse 11, inquiring. Now, these are the prophets. This is what the prophets are doing. They are inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. This is something you might not have realized. There's only a couple places in Scripture where the spirit is called the spirit of Christ. Normally, it's the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Spirit. It's not often called the Spirit of Christ. But here we have what's going on here. Christ himself is speaking to the prophets, speaking to those who come before, speaking to those who are writing down the stories of God's faithful men and women, speaking to those faithful men and women directly. He's speaking to them and he's indicating not only about the sufferings, but also about the glories of Christ. And that's an important order. You can't get that mixed up. Sometimes we want to go through Psalm 23 like this. We want to say, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, don't walk through the valley in the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. My power with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We want to skip past the bad part, right? We don't want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't want to go through the hard times. We just want to get to the end. But how much of our life do we live in the hard times? How much of our life do we live in the valley? How much of our life do we live in the darkness? Live in the trouble? Live in the, the moment of agony and pain and distress? You don't get the glories of Christ without the suffering of Christ too. Christ is not glorified until he humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death on a cross. To put it the way that Peter Davids wrote in his commentary on this verse, neither Christ nor his people receive the crown of glory without the crown of thorns. And he reveals them both. You can scour the prophets and you can see not only the glory of Messiah and the good things that he will do, you can see the suffering and anguish that he will go through. And it's a picture of what we have to go through, isn't it? If all you see of Jesus is him taking the little children to him, walking on the water, healing people who are blind and lame and sick, and you don't see him suffering, you haven't seen the full Christ. Put on those 3D glasses and see him in agony for your sins. And then you'll root for him to reign in glory. It's another benefit. We're also enlivened by the gospel that they proclaimed. You see, God has revealed to them grace and, and they, as they proclaim that grace, it, it's something that we find and, and we receive the benefit of. Paul said that it was a, a, a mystery of God. They didn't quite see the whole picture. But little by little, bit by bit, God was revealing more and more and more of his plan until Christ shows up, God swings the doors wide open and say, here it is. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you 
watch this, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You want to know why we get such benefit from these old guys who preached millennia ago? Lived in a vastly different culture? Followed a different set of rules? Sometimes ate some pretty weird stuff. Do you want to know why someone who lived two, three, four thousand years ago had something to say to you and me? It's because it wasn't just him talking. It was God's Holy Spirit through him. You want to know why stories of the saints of old are so impactful? Do you want to know why 70% of our Bibles is narrative? The reason why is because God is working in the circumstances of people who have come before us. He moves in their words, He moves in their circumstances, and He uses them for our benefit. And it's not just for us. All this isn't a stage show just so we will get the gospel. It's not just all something that's happening only for our benefit, but we get the benefit from it. That brings me to where this really hits the road. So what that we're beneficiaries? What does it matter? Let me give you a couple of things that I think it should matter for. First, um, when's the last time you thanked God that those who have come before you endured the hardships that they did were as faithful as they were? When's the last time you thanked God for Isaiah? When's the last time you thanked God for Moses? When's the last time you thanked God for Rahab? When's the last time you thank God for unnamed people who were just faithful? When's the last time you thank God for that Sunday school teacher you had when you were seven? Or whatever age it happened to be when you came to faith? When's the last time you thank God that your mother didn't kill you all those times when she probably felt like it? We often forget how much it's taken to bring us to faith. Don't take it for granted. I mean, after all, all it takes is Lister saying, yeah, y'all are probably right. I'll just, I'll stop with all this nonsense about antiseptic practices and surgery. Second thing, why don't you do what they actually said? Now, there are some things we don't do directly. There are times when they say to offer the sacrifices, and we don't offer those sacrifices because we have a perfect sacrifice in Christ. But there's other things we can do. We can do justice. We can love mercy and we can walk humbly before our God. In fact, let me issue you a challenge. Read through the scriptures and find one verse. I don't know what day it is. I'll have to look on the calendar and figure it out. But in a few weeks, we're going to have a day called Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the start of this 40-day season called Lent. leads up to Easter. We're Baptists. I know. We're not liturgical. We don't do that kind of stuff. I want to encourage you to do that kind of stuff this year. Find a verse, and for 40 days, do everything you can to apply that verse. If you got an anger problem, maybe you follow a verse like, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Or maybe, let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Maybe you're a gossiper. Gossip betrays a confidence. Maybe... Maybe your problem is, I don't know. Let's just throw one out there, worrying. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Maybe it's not that you need to stop doing something so much as you need to start doing something more. Let's continue that don't worry one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Maybe that's what you need to do for 40 days. How can I, how can I work toward the kingdom of God? There's all kinds of great scriptures to follow. Maybe you find yourself upset, bitter, angry all the time. And just downright a, a, a grump. By the way, nobody likes a grump. Don't, grumps don't even like grumps. Okay? Maybe you need laughter does good like a medicine. Maybe you find yourself lonely and tempted because you don't have any support. Then you need Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Find that verse that God says to you, you know, you really need to pay attention to this word and seek to apply it and watch what happens. Stand on, their, on those giant shoulders. Live out what they have preached. Put into practice what they have called us to do. Maybe, maybe you just, you're just a sinner and you need to repent. There's plenty of verses that say repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4.17. That's straight from Jesus. You don't want it from Jesus? Fine. Just open up one prophetic book and you will find the word repent all over it. The fact is, if we don't follow their example, we don't get the benefit of their example. We can learn a lot from them and we can gather head knowledge and we can, we can see things in a new perspective, but if we don't actually put it into practice, it doesn't matter. Third thing I want to encourage you to do. No. Encourage isn't the right word. Call you to do. You've benefited from people who've gone before you. What about those coming next? What kind of legacy are you going to live for your kids and grandkids? What are they going to see? What are they watching right now? I'm struggling with this because I'm looking at my life and I look at what I want to be and what I am and what I am is not what I want to be. And I'm asking the question of how can I be more of what I need to be so that my kids will become who they need to be? It's a struggle we all go through. Look back at them and say, what do they need me to be? How can I be what they need? How can I lead them the way that others have led me? How can I be the example to them that I've seen in so many others? Again, put it into practice, right? We have such a great benefit from those who have gone before us. Put it the way the author of Hebrews does. Chapter 11, he goes through this hall of faith, all of these faithful people recounting all of their, uh, and, and not even all, just scratching the surface, but all of the faithfulness that men and women had shown throughout all the ages. And then he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have such benefit from those who have gone before us, especially from Jesus Christ himself. So let's run our race with endurance. 
Let's do the things that God has called us to do. Let's be faithful to serve Him, faithful to proclaim Him, faithful to exemplify Him in everything we do so that those who come after us will have good footsteps to follow. 1902. It's June 24th and King Edward VII has had 10 days of appendicitis. Y'all had appendicitis? Anybody had that? From what I hear, it's, it's very painful. He's supposed to be coronated in two days, so it's kind of important that he actually lives to that. And the chief surgeon who is going to operate on him wants to make sure that he does everything possible to save the king's life. I mean, after all, he is, he is the king, right? So he goes and consults an old man. And that old man brings him up to speed with everything he needs to do. The surgery is successful. Edward lives a good, good long time after that, coronated, and everything goes off well. I don't have to tell you who the old man is, do I? It's Joseph Lister. By then, he had abandoned uh, the original antiseptic he used because it, other problems that were created, and it would, it would cause issues with some people. The, the human tissue, it would degrade some of the tissue around the wounds, and cause other issues, and so he had, he had, by then scientists had made some progress and found some better antiseptics, so, so he told the operating surgeon, here is what you need to do to clean everything. It's a beautiful picture of what the Christian life ought to be. It ought to be us learning from and growing from those who have gone before, turning around and helping those who are coming next to reach even higher than we could. That's what God's called us to be, to put it a different way. He's called us to be living stones in a temple of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. That's who he's calling us to be. So the next time someone says you need to check your privilege, boy, you have a lot of privilege. So do I. We have the privilege of having such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's not take it lightly. Let's not throw it out and squander the opportunities before us. Pray with me. Father, as we approach the invitation, uh, we know you've been working. We know that you have been, you've been speaking to our hearts. You've been calling us to, to do something that we might not have done before. You may be calling somebody here to surrender their lives to you. They have they may have heard the story about Jesus, but they, they've, never, they've never surrendered their lives to Him. They may have known a little bit about what, what all this Christian thing is about, but they never, they've never accepted you as their Lord. Father, I pray they do that this morning. Lord, there, there are some here who, who may have done that a long, long time ago, but they need help following you. They need a renewed energy, vigor, a zeal to keep going. Maybe there are some sins that they need to confess and that you need to work out. That you need to, that you need to move them from a place of disobedience to a place of obedience. Father, maybe you're just calling someone to join this church. 
This is the place they need to be. Whatever you're doing, Lord, may we be faithful. May we walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us and serve you with faithfulness. May we honor you with our lips and our hearts. May we be wholly devoted to you. In this time, you you lead. And we'll follow. Have your own will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing the verse. Turn to page 591. Have I